0: is jared palm grin your host of the brand new defending the natty podcast i hope you guys are having a great time wherever or whenever you guys are listening to us this is the new dynasty college fantasy football podcast available everywhere once a month on your podcast feeds wherever you can find the chasing the natty podcast feed as well if you want to support the great work we're doing here head on over to campus subscribe there with one of our immaculate tiers. you'll find everything you need for all types college fantasy games whether it be cff redraft dynasty Devi, campus of canton and even more than that you can find me on twitter i'm at cff underscore jared and my partner sitting across from me here is mr nate marquise and you can find him on twitter at cff underscore not underscore at cff nate nate how you doing man how's the holidays been treating you
1: i'm great i'm pumped dude this is this is dynasty talk so this is kind of my baby. This is what I enjoy most when it comes to fantasy football. I I play, you know, basically one redraft and then I do a whole bunch of best balls just to kind of get me through the off season, but it's it's dynasty that's my bread and butter. Um those are the those are the leagues that I really really enjoy. So I'm I'm pretty stoked to be able to talk about this subject with you, but uh holidays were great. It's cold as Balls here in Kansas City, um, but otherwise we're doing we're doing good, man.
0: I'm glad here, man. I'm glad you and your family are doing well up there. I hope, I hope you guys are staying warm. It's absolutely nuts throughout the entire country. It's even gotten below 20 degrees here in Georgia, which for us is just a national emergency, basically down here. <laughs> so <laughs> we were discussing in the this campus again chat earlier about Snowmageddon back in 2012, and I remember being stuck on the highway because neither of my parents during that uh, for those of you don't know uh, if you don't know what snowmageddon was basically it was back in 2012 Um, there was a huge incident where all the roads around Atlanta froze over because they didn't have any of the salt trucks ready there was a bunch of rain the night before that froze the next morning but they still sent everybody to school but then another ice storm came in and froze the roads even more and then they sent everybody home at the exact same time leading to a massive traffic jam it took my mom nine hours (laughs) to get home and i was i I was stuck on i seventy five in Georgia for four hours and i I could the only reason I could get home was because my grandmother had to come and pick me up my neither of my parents could get to my school it was absolutely nuts but anyway that's I, i'm i hoping we never had to deal with that here in Georgia again but we'll see here um anyway Nate like you said we're this is dynasty talk this is us again i i had this idea just kind of spur of the moment towards the end of the season where i was just like you know what like i can't do another weekly podcast like i could do a chase in the natty but i'm like you know what? we can get together like once a month and sit down for an hour or two just talking about anything that's gone on the past month that might affect dynasty talk about different topics like you know trading we're going to talk about just the entire state of cff dynasty today how do our strategies change things like that And, again, you're busy with your family, and I figured I could get you on here once a month, and you know you love Dynasty football, and like you mentioned, how long have you been playing CFF Dynasty compared to uh, Redraft Nate?
1: Um well I've been playing a a keeper league where we keep at least 5. That's my home league and that's that's gone on 15 plus years. So it's not a true dynasty but more of a hybrid has a little bit of elements of both but mm-hmm. um I've been I've been doing dynasty for uh 5 or 6 years now.
0: Okay, yeah. This is this is going to be my fourth year doing dynasty. I've obviously been doing redraft longer than that but It's definitely been interesting over the last couple of years. This is something I was going to think about kind of bringing up here is that, again, you've been doing CFF Dynasty longer than I have, Nate. And, you know, you had this idea of like what the strategies were in CFF Dynasty. It's like you're, you're looking at rooms, you're looking at systems, you're looking at kind of next man up systems. That's obviously all changing. We're going to talk about that on today's podcast. And. I didn't really have that. Like when I really got started playing into CFF Dynasty, it was kind of the birth of the transfer portal, the birth of NIL as well. So I, along with learning how to play CFF Dynasty, I've also been trying to adapt to that as well. So very interested to hear your takes today um, as we talk about the state of CFF Dynasty. So. For those people who maybe don't play CFF Dynasty, Nate, who are listening to this, trying to figure out like, all right, how does this compare to Campus to Canton Leagues or just CFF Redraft Leagues? What would you say kind of separates CFF Dynasty Leagues? And then I guess talk about how that's changing now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an all 365 days a year type thing. So it's like if you love college fantasy and you you want to really embrace it and you can't get enough of it then dynasty just kind of takes it to that next level cuz you are you know you are worried about what happens to your roster in the off season and now more than ever we're seeing we're seeing that i mean 5 years ago before the transfer portal was a thing i mean it was so rare that you would see players you know move around like they did. It was that first year where we saw Jalen Hurts transfer over to Oklahoma. We saw Justin Fields go over to Ohio State. That's that's when things really uh started to change and player movement got crazy. And now we've added in NIL and it's it's basically like player movement on steroids now. Not mm-hmm. to mention all of the, the coaching changes whenever you see you know the coaching carousel in full swing like we've seen really over the last few days when somebody like Nick Saban retires out of the blue and then it impacts Washington and impacts Arizona. It impacts, you know, whoever else that Arizona's uh, going to hire from. So yeah, I mean, used to it was, Hey, I've got uh, this particular running back at Toledo and you know what? He's next in line after one of their stud running backs moves on and I can just go ahead and plug him in a a year from now and know that he's going to be a stud. And yep, uh, that that certainly isn't the case uh, anymore with all, especially with all the, the, the G five to P four transitions that we've seen,
0: yeah, well, definitely, um, it, it, it's a lot to keep track of. And I think probably the thing that I thought of at first was like, you know, we in the CFF industry, we're used to change. Like, again, you you have coaching changes every single offseason. We like you can have best laid plans of drafting a guy who is going to be the third string running back for Alabama and then maybe they if Nick Saban retired at one point during that and it completely changes the system then you know you're not going to have the Nick Saban running back one anymore or Ohio State wide receiver one or something like that but now like you, as we kind of mentioned it's players too it's that players can kind of move with their coaches or move on after their coaches as well and that's something that we have to keep track of now as well but it also is interesting as well cuz like think about the like let's let's use the Washington example for right now right like obviously okay. Jed Fish is moving on to Washington before that would have left us in a pickle of okay we thought we knew what Nova and Ted McMillan were going to be next year But now we don't know what coach they're going to be under next year. But now they have the opportunity, if they want to, to follow Jed Fish to Washington. And doesn't that actually make it a little easier for us in the CFF industry if they do follow him? Because that kind of makes it very clear. Like, all right, they're going to play under the same system. Literally, the only thing has changed is location and uniforms. Conferences. Conferences. Well, but yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. But
1: yeah. I, but I think that that while that does happen now, we do see a lot of a lot of players follow their coaches, um, especially when we are talking about moving up from that G five level. I mean, we oh yeah, well, think of what we've seen at Indiana and yep. Kurt Signetti <clears throat> bringing over what seems to be the entire, the entire roster. roster, yeah, at JMU. But um, I mean, I think that those scenarios, uh, you know, obviously Caleb following Lincoln from Oklahoma, those scenarios happen, but they, I would say for the most part, are few and far between. So mm-hmm. I do think that there is this this volatility has left a level of uncertainty um, to, to the point where it does make more sense now to kind of view Dynasty more in kind of a redraft situation than what we've seen in the past, where you can plan three years out i mean it's it's almost impossible to plan from one draft to the next year you know Mm -hmm. like if you're drafting in in august of 2023 and thinking you're going to know the landscape of college football come august of 2024 it's just it's now less likely that you're going to be able to hit on that than you were five six years ago
0: Oh, absolutely. Again, like I said, it kind of at near the start, where like the days of planning two, three years ahead of time and just being okay with a guy sitting on your bench for really more than a year now is just not happening anymore. Like, if your guy does not take off in some way, shape, or form in year one, you're probably going to have a sunk cost of some kind. They're not as valuable as they used to be because, you know, the roster, like, if a coach sees a guy like let's take Richard Young for example at Alabama, right? If I have Richard Young on my rosters, I'll be cutting him this off season in CFF Dynasty in 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 a lot of leagues you would or in years past you would have thought that's nuts like he's going to be a guy that probably plays for Alabama at some point even like at a Brian Robinson kind of deal where like 4 years down the line he could be it but now, Bama has the choice to go out and grab a Jameer Gibbs whenever they want to. They feel like Richard Young isn't standing out early on, and you're not hearing that hype. Then it's very they. There's more options for them to go out and grab another guy at this point. So it's like, I think that that's pretty much gone by the wayside. I think you're going to see more roster turnover, year in and year out, in terms of the guys that you're okay with cutting after each year than you have been in the past because you can't sit there and look at like a Bryson Rogers at Ohio State right and be like oh I'm okay with holding on to him because he's in that Ohio State room no if he hasn't done anything yet then they're probably going to either over recruit him or he hasn't shown enough to where they can say like okay why would I go with Bryson Rogers who hasn't done anything for us when I could go out and grab like an Evan Stewart this year right
1: I, I agree and disagree to a, certain, to a certain point with that, because I've kind of changed my mindset. This kind of brings us to this point of systems versus player talent, individual player talent, right? And so I have always been, you and I are both very much so embedded in this idea that systems dictate college fantasy football. And I still think for the most part, that's still true. Yes. However, I will say, however, because of the ability of a player now to... Transfer and not have to sit. And now, technically, they can do that multiple times and not have to sit. I do. I have started to kind of look at things more in the lens of how talented is this player. Mm -hmm. I would have never five six years ago. I would have never drafted somebody like Richard Young or Bryson Rogers over at Ohio State because I would have been terrified that they get buried (laughs) on the depth chart never find their way to a clear path to play in the next year, and then get recruited over the following year. Now, at least, if I think that player's actually really talented, I could say, I could at least justify that they could move on in a transfer situation, find themselves like um, Corey Kiner did, like the other Alabama running back that transferred to Cincinnati. was. Jerome Ford. Seeing some of those scenarios now play out that we didn't see in the past, past at least does that make sense
0: no and i totally get that i think it's one of those things where it it, it goes both ways but like one thing i was kind of interested in is again at campus again we have a year one zero stat right like is this idea that you know a player especially a wide receiver has to hit like a certain threshold in their very first year for really you to think that they're valuable for the nfl in the future that's a campus of canton thing but obviously we're in college that can be a little bit different like you said a guy like um a guy like um what's a good example like aaron anderson right he didn't do anything for alabama year one maybe he goes to lsu maybe he could pop off at lsu this year but also when i go back and look at the history of guys that were year one zeros for campus to canton especially these top 300 espn wide receivers which are very talented i I would think you would agree there nate um yeah absolutely these guys are the most talented at least according to these recruiting services if they didn't do anything year one even if they transferred elsewhere the success rate has just not really been there for the last couple of years like let's look at like some of the zeros from last year right um aaron anderson I just brought him up, went to LSU. I was actually thinking, I'm like, okay, maybe I invest in some Aaron Anderson this season. He's a talented dude. He's in a system at LSU that has produced well for us in the past for CFF. But what is what is LSU doing? They go out and grab Xavier Thomas. They go out and grab CJ Daniels. They're clearly kind of loading up that wide receiver room. And I think there's still room for Aaron Anderson to be great there. But I think the signs right now are kind of telling me that even if I believe in that, he is going to be somebody that could get just popped off over by it by other transfers. They haven't really like again, he hasn't shown that he's that valuable guy. CJ Williams at USC, right? We thought last year, okay, he's transferred to Wisconsin. He's looking really good in the spring and everything like that. It's um it it's Phil Longo's system, a great system for cff didn't really do anything this year. Yeah. Didn't really do anything this year. So, yeah. I think it's something that we got to keep an eye on is like this idea of like you got to give me something year one otherwise like quickly probably time to move on from some of these guys.
1: Here's 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 the thought I have. I, I wrote down a few of what I consider like the five things you really need to consider whenever you are starting a CFF dynasty and this pretty much pertains to startups but you can apply it to um you know your your other drafts in CFF dynasty later on down the road. But my my number one rule to drafting in CFF dynasty never ever ever under any circumstances punt in your drafts mm-hmm. and forfeit that, you know, basically say I'm not going to care about my first season in this dynasty. I'm only going to care about the
0: future. I agree with hundred percent
1: that it makes no sense with the amount of volatility that we have now to just totally punt on your first year. You are not smart enough to figure out what things will look like a year from now, let alone two years from now. I've seen so many, so many teams or so many owners do this when they start CFF dynasties and it never works out because Mm -hmm. so much changes and teams that I think didn't draft very well, but weren't totally punting. Actually, it only takes a few waiver moves to really boost that roster and make it, you know, and make it competitive. And here's the one kind of big caveat that I have to this rule is if you punt and you only draft freshmen, or, you know, just draft first and second year players that you don't expect to do much in year one, you then at the trade deadline have no assets to move to better your team mm-hmm. for the for the following season. Yep. And you will have so much better idea at the trade deadline of what the following season could look like and who those actual next guys are than you would at the start of a season when you draft. Am I wrong?
0: I, I, so I don't think you're entirely... Correct. Um, I, I agree with you the most part that I've, I've seen the teams like you said where like they only draft freshmen and then they just really punt the year. And this is where I think that they make the major mistake. I don't mind the idea of somebody like we mentioned earlier. You got to focus a little bit more on talent now because of everything changes. You got to think about guys that can translate from one system to another and still perform well. I don't mind the idea of somebody going into a freshman draft and or go, excuse, going into a startup draft and be like, I'm going to draft just all these talented freshmen that just keep following, following because you know there's other people who are drafting. You know, guys that are going to be gone after this year, right? And so I don't mind the idea of loading up on talented guys. My problem is when they then turn around and then just don't do anything in the season, like you mentioned, Nate, where they will. Not do the waiver wire at all. If you have a totally loaded roster of Oh my goodness, I'm I'm losing my thought here. Anyway, my, my, my point is I don't mind the idea of drafting only freshmen. Load up with talent. Because a lot of some of those a lot of those guys are gonna be hits. Don't get me wrong. The really the kind of the problem comes when you're not supplementing that with waiver moves during the season, trying to grab some more known quantities that you can then try to hope and they and hold on for next year. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You I think I think we're both in agreement that if you only draft for two years out, then you have kind of pinned yourself into a corner where you're you don't have trade assets and you're less likely to get off some of those players to pick up guys off the waiver wire that could make your team better either now or for the future because for sure you're you you have you have kind of dedicated yourself to that punt strategy. So I think I think that's a problem. An- another thing that I wanted to mention was that I, I think it has really changed over the last couple of years is the idea of that we now, and I think we kind of alluded to this earlier with some of these situations of freshmen not really panning out. Mm-hmm. We need to understand which programs and staffs are heavily focused on the portal. And knowing who they are, identifying oh, for those sure. staffs, and not investing so much draft capital into their freshmen guys like Lincoln Riley, guys like Jeff Brom, Lane Kiffin, Deion Sanders, obviously. Uh, Mike Aver Norvell, SMU. Norvell, Kenny Dillingham, like these are guys that um, that are really using the portal. They're really using the the NIL to supplement, not only supplement to really bolster their rosters. And it's really hard for those players, uh, those freshmen, to really climb the depth chart if there's constantly new bodies getting in there that they have to climb over.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you as well. Um, I, I forget did you mention Steve Sarkeesian as well? That's pretty much that's very much in the news right now with him adding Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, probably going to add fair. Silas Bolden as well. Yeah. Like, in, he's he's taking guys out of the portal just even last year. I mean, A.D. Mitchell coming in over from Georgia. They had, I mean, it didn't pan out, but the year before, he had Jaleel Billingsley and Ajay Hall he was bringing in from Alabama. Like, these are guys that, like you said, we got to, we absolutely need to learn the history of who is, who's targeting these wide receivers a ton. And it, like you said, it makes it harder to really invest in those guys earlier and, I think that goes really for any big program out there, right? Like even if Alabama or like Ohio State, Ohio State has not been a – has not been a program so far that has needed to go to the portal to grab their wide receivers, right? Because they have Brian Hartline there. They have just a massive train of guys coming in year after year that have been hit after hit after hit. That is going to end at some point. As As great as the coach's heartline is, they're going to have years where at one point, they're going to look at that receiver room and say like, hey, we suddenly don't have what we thought we had anymore, they're going to go to the portal because they can't. Because Ohio State will go to any of those receivers in the portal and say like, hey, we don't have the guys we want here. Evan Stewart, come hang out over here. Alabama was a pipeline of wide receivers for college fantasy until they weren't. Until all of a sudden, Saban misses out on a few wide receiver draft classes. Guys like Shaz Preston, Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, Jojo Earl. None of those guys really panning out there suddenly causes Bama to start going out and getting guys out of the portal on a year in and year out basis. So I think it's absolutely something to, to watch out for there.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean it's the the portal is and NIL for that matter has has truly changed has truly changed everything. And we haven't even we haven't even hit on the fact that um how NIL has also, changed it for for the positive for a lot of us for CFF. Oh, for sure, it is keep it is keeping some players. You know, the main thing we wanted to see out of it as as you know consumers of CFF is will it keep players around? And we saw that happen with Bo Nix, right? We're yep. seeing it happen with 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 Quinn Ewers now, um, Trayvon Henderson. So we we are seeing players uh, return, and in that sense, it makes it even harder really to predict. The next man up situation, right? I mean, Austin Nova said, "Where, you know, where did you go?" Because it was all set up for you to be that next man up, and uh, you know, Bo Nix comes back for another year, and then transfer players transfer in. You know, it's just it's really hard. Dallin Hayden, I mean, you, you're holding on to him all season in CFF dynasties, thinking, "Okay, once that room clears out, I'm gonna have the next man up." And the exact opposite happened to that room. It didn't clear out; it filled up. So. Um, it's, it's crazy.
0: Again, I think it, once again, goes back to my point of, like, if a player isn't showing you something in year one, like with Austin Novosad, if there was nothing there saying that, like, oh, these, because, like, think about the talk around the Oklahoma program surrounding Jackson Arnold or, like, a Kansas State and Avery Johnson versus, like, Oregon and Austin Novosad, right? Like there was talk all year long about like, oh, this Oklahoma staff can't wait to get Arnold out there. Avery Johnson was getting sn- was getting snaps over Will Howard, who was performing really well for Kansas State, because one, either they didn't want those guys to transfer, so they wanted to make sure that they got out there. But then two, like, they were good enough to do so. They had skill sets to where the staff wanted to see what was made of with them. Versus Austin Novosad, what did he really do this year? Outside of play— some snaps in the bowl game, a few in in blowouts, but Ty Thompson was ahead of him, and we all knew that Ty Thompson was going to transfer at the end of the year anyway. So it's like if Austin Novosad wasn't clearly that next guy up, it basically became a a sunk cost real quick. I I, I fully expected Oregon to go to the transfer portal. It's like you can can kind of pick up on that mid-season now, I think, in terms of like, okay, do they clearly like the next guy up, whether it be running back, wide receiver, running back as well, or... Are the tea leaves kind of telling you they're going to go for Port I think that's a skill we have to learn in CFF Dynasty moving forward.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's hard to predict because if even if let's take Ty Thompson for instance, even if you liked his talent coming out, and you're like, okay, worst case scenario is uh, he doesn't win the job, you know, by year two, he'll transfer out. Well, what if he sticks around Oregon for three damn years? Yeah, you're like, Jesus, I've got nothing out of this guy, and then finally, you know, half the people probably finally ditched him. And then look, he ends up at Tulane. You're like, well, hell, that's that's actually not that bad. So uh exactly. I, I would have hung on to him. Now you know, it's you're you're constantly just trying to figure out, you know, how to assess the situation.
0: Or a good example of that uh, Mike Bainbridge really kind of brought up with one of his tweets, but the LV Bunkley Shelton, right? Like, goes to Oklahoma, people are like, okay, maybe this will be a good situation. Kind of gets buried on the depth chart. Most people are like, okay, that's it. He's done. Like, we're not going to worry about this anymore. You cut him most of your leagues. Now he's going off to Georgia Southern, who's losing Caleb Hood. And he could possibly slide right into that Caleb Hood role. And you're sitting there like, well, shoot. Now I'm stuck in the offseason, sitting here, like, looking at him on waiver wires, being like, I really wish I just hung on to him rather than maybe a, a freshman that you're looking at that didn't really do much this year. Absolutely. so who knows man who knows one thing i think we could also talk about and we again we touched on this earlier when we f- were first bringing up the topic but like this idea of g5 to p4 p4 now i gotta get used to saying yeah. that right um i really think that this is like there are some exceptions but this is probably the thing that is The in my opinion, the biggest change with College Fantasy. Because part of what made College Fantasy was, again, you can still, in my opinion, this day and age, still invest in that next man up at Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. You can still go for those guys because those players typically are talented enough to do it. Versus G5, man, if your G5 dude finally gets his shot, does really well for a year, more than likely... If he has eyes in the NFL, he's going to have some agent in his mind saying, hey, you need to move up to a bigger school. The NFL is never going to find you here at who gives a crap university, right? So we're seeing more and more. I actually went back and tracked this. We are seeing more and more G5 guys move up to the power five, power four, excuse me. Each year, and it just hasn't really worked out so far. Like, if you don't mind, Nate, I'm going to list off some guys here. Well, I guess yeah. we'll go by position by position. Let's go quarterback here 2022, right? Tanner Mordecai transfers from SMU to uh, Wisconsin this year. He's 20, he's a QB 23 at SMU, QB 56 this year, had he played all 12 games. Colin Schley, QB 48 at Kent State. Suddenly, QB one hundred plus doesn't even really start at UCLA at any given point throughout the year. Had some extended run here and there, but again, like just a big stock down. This or um, this year, we got four top, what is this, top thirty G five QBs that are, or excuse me, top thirty quarterbacks that are from the G five moving up to the Power Five. Chandler Rogers, QB eighteen this year, he's going to Cal. Diego Pavia. QB 21 sounds like he's going to Washington state. Yeah. This kind of G five. Now it's, it's a weird in between there. He's not going to
1: Washington state anymore. Is he not? They signed. No, they signed a guy from FCS that is going to be their only other transfer quarterback.
0: No. Okay. But, but even so he's transferring out. He was seeking to go to move up there. Jordan McLeod. He's somebody that was kind of looking at some P five places to look for. Daquan Finn quarterback for years at Toledo all of a sudden now moving up to Baylor is there any one of those guys right there again top 30 quarterbacks is there a single one of those that even keeps an even stock this year in your mind no I, I think I think our,
1: our our big overarching point here is is that nothing terrifies us more than the G5 stud trend transitioning up just because we we haven't seen enough evidence that it, they can consistently make that transition And maintain their
0: relevance.
1: Mm -hmm. I think what's going to be probably the most interesting test case is going to be Curtis Rourke going from Ohio to Indiana because he is making that train that is uh, historically has a a fantastic CFF um, resume or, or history and can you know can kurt signetti take a g5 guy and make him relevant there at indiana which is a massive step up from the mac with all you know the the, the conference opponents at indiana is going to have to play there so yeah it's 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 really hard to predict
0: well it's not only just that it's it's the it like you said it's not only just the players it's the system as well like we've already seen this year and the last couple of years like we invest in a lot of systems a year too early with some of these guys right like and it's even even more so when you're trying to bring that offensive style system from the g5 to the p5 it already doesn't translate super well already at the g5 level sometimes so definitely something to work out there but again there there are there are some um exceptions right like a couple years ago right or or yeah a couple years ago Xavier Valley, RB fifty eight yep. at Wyoming, suddenly RB six at Arizona State the very next year, right? Like that's a that's a G five to P five that worked out extremely well right there. Uh, another example, I mean Jacob Cowing, wide receiver twenty seven at UTEP in twenty twenty one, wide receiver twenty at Arizona the very next year. Devontae Walker, if he played all twelve games. He would have been wide receiver 14 at Kent State the year before and wide receiver 20 this year at North Carolina. So, like, we have these guys that show they can translate. I guess that's another skill we just got to start looking out for. How do we determine... Who's going to get buried on the depth chart like a Brian Battee going from South Florida to Auburn or a Sean Tyler going from Western Michigan to Minnesota versus a guy who actually can be a stud like a Devontae Walker or even a Trey Harris or I mean Jamari Thrash was on pace for a top 10 wide receiver finish before he got hurt this year. So do you have any thoughts on that Nate just off the top of your head like how can we determine that?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way to determine that is, once again, taking a look at system and um, taking a look at what, trying to find the right system, as well as it being a program that can't out-recruit or over-recruit that G5 player. So let's let's use a couple of those, for example. Xavier Valaday, very good player there at Wyoming. He went to Arizona State where they had historically, three years in a row, uh, Herm had a 1,000-yard rusher. They also are the type of program that wasn't going to really recruit over him, you know, to where he was going to get buried in the depth chart. Um, Let's take an an example like Dante Cephas, who went from Kent State, very good system, to Penn State, who really struggles to throw forward passes. And all of a sudden, no matter how good he is as a player, it was really going to hurt his stock because that system could not support him. And it's a program that could Recruit at least to his level, if not even better players.
0: Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I, I, I think even going back a year before, it makes it a little more interesting. Is that again? You had Penn State coming off the year where Dante or not Dante Stevens? Oh my God, what's his name? Went to the Commanders. Mitchell Tinsley. No, not Mitchell Tinsley. The, the one before that. Oh jeez. Oh Where's my
1: God.
0: No, Penn State. No, it's not. It's not. Not, not G five wide receiver. It was. It was their stud wide receiver.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. The one that is playing for uh Denver.
0: Yeah, no, uh, playing for Washington. I have no idea. Ben. Oh my god, what's his I, name? I
1: don't keep up with the NFL, but the, the little guy that was uh, uh, that put up big numbers there.
0: I'm putting a timestamp here. I got to look this up now. I'm going to look like a fool if I forget this man's name. While while you're looking while
1: you're looking it up, Jacob Kelling's another good example of in in the same vein as Xavier Baliday, where it's a good system for a receiver. He's a talented player, and they're probably not going to recruit to the level where he's going to find himself buried
0: on the bench. Who's the guy you're thinking of? Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson. Okay. Like, okay. It, it, but Mitchell Tinsley is kind of interesting because of the fact that he's following Jahan Dotson. He's being brought to Penn State. You're suddenly having this idea of like, okay, maybe Penn State's kind of turned the corner here with wide receiver production. Mm-hmm. And turns out just not nearly as talented as Jahan Dotson. So I think that is something we got to keep an eye on there.
1: Okay, let's while we're on this this subject, Penny yes. Boone,
0: Marcus Carroll, yay or nay? Where are you at? I'm towards yay on Marcus Carroll and nay on Penny Boone. Okay, I think I'm the opposite of you. Because Penny Boone, my thing is, I think they one they he's not the only running back they're bringing in this year. They're bringing in Don Chaney Jr., who is a power five running back again. Didn't do terribly well at Miami. I don't think he'll ever be the number one guy there. At Louisville, but then also you have Maurice Turner, who is still hanging around at Louisville over there. Very much fits a little bit more of the mold that John or Jabari Jordan had with Louisville in terms of his skill set. So I personally think Louisville is headed towards a committee this next year. Again, we know that Jeff Brom is gone has gone back and forth in terms of you know does he have a committee? Does he have that leading rusher and everything? And I think. They were headed towards a committee this year. It's just that Jahan got out there, and once he showed that he couldn't be taken off of the field, I don't think. I think that's when Brom kind of made that switch. Versus a guy like Penny Boone, again, he's already done it once at the Power Five level. Didn't really do super well. Goes down to Toledo, playing in the MAC. Obviously, probably the worst overall in terms of talent level for defenses. Beats up on beats up on some small children. There moves back up to the ACC, which again, you know, it's not the Big Ten or the SEC in terms of the defenses he'll face. I just have a hard time feeling like he is going to immediately translate when they have other options there. Versus Mizzou, they go on. They do get two running backs in the same vein there, right? They get Marcus Carroll. They get Nate Noel, two guys. Nate Noel, I don't think is going to translate super well. Again, he's a smaller guy. I think he is. He's being brought in there for that kind of Nate Pete role that he had this past year. Again, a bit more, bit better in the passing game, bit smaller versus like Carroll is a bigger dude, right? I think he can take over for Cody Schrader. I'm personally at the point where I think that Carroll will follow the same route that Schrader did, where it's like that first year they're not going to fully trust him. And then the second year for Carroll, I think, will be the time where he kind of makes that full transition if he sticks around. Again, that's where this whole dynasty thing gets thrown for a complete loop. It's hard to plan out two years in a row.
1: Well, Marcus Carroll's only got one year, so...
0: Oh, does he really? Oh, my bad. I thought he was younger than that. Yeah. Um, No, Adams. Adams is the one who's way younger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. Um,
1: I, I like Penny Boone as compared to the rest of that room, and I just like the fact that even when Jawar Jordan went out and Garindo took over, Garindo was really good, and we and Penny Boone kind of fits that mold that we saw. You know, the Devin Mockaby under Brom, the um, Furby, uh, I believe was his name at Western Kentucky, that put mm-hmm. hundred yards, twenty touchdowns type years at Western Kentucky under. Braum. Like that scenario uh, for him, I, I don't know about the situation there at. At uh, Missouri. I, I do like Marcus Carroll, but like you said, it's just, I think that's a better room and I think that's a bigger jump in competition uh, to the SEC. So that's my concern there.
0: No, I, I again, I, it, we have all off season to debate this. And I've honestly, like, i, I at first I really love the idea of Marcus Carroll, but again, they bring in Noel as well. I think that's kind of indicating that they're not fully trusting. Again, both of these rooms are in very similar situations. They're coming off of having studs at the front. Very clear backups to them in Nate and uh, Nathaniel Pete and Isaac Gurendo, who are also leaving, so they both felt the need to go and grab multiple backs out of the portal. Both of those rooms I will be keeping an eye on during the spring. I think spring will tell us quite a bit in terms of what we can expect moving forward. Speaking of transfer running backs while we're reporting here, the first domino has fallen
1: at Arizona. Jonah Coleman has entered the transfer portal. So
0: Yep, that's not a another big surprise. One, big
1: one there. Yep.
0: I imagine he'll follow uh he'll follow I I I would hope he follows Fish to Washington because I'll be I don't really know where else he could go right now. That would make a, t- a lot of sense because like Washington, who else do they have at running back? Oh, they got Typo Rogers. I do like Typo Rogers, but Dude, Washington has like 30 running backs, just none of them seem to be any good. <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> Um, but anyway, let's talk about some of these wide receivers. Like, again, continuing on with the G5, to P5 thing here. Again, I, I listed off a couple of guys just this year who worked out really well. Devontae Walker, Trey Harris, Jamari Thrash before he got hurt. But then there's some complete washes. Zachari Franklin and Ole Miss. Now, I think there was a little bit more going on there than just talent performance on the field and stuff like that. There might have been some off the field issues potentially there. But then another one. Elijah Spencer, wide receiver 29 at Charlotte, goes to friggin' Minnesota. Just complete washout there. Finishes the wide receiver 627. And this is a dude that was getting hyped during this spring and everything like that. So, like, when you look at the, the G5 guys that are transferring up this year, Nate, right? Like, you got Colin Lacey going to, going to Louisville. Elijah Surratt going to Indiana, Jay Macklin going to Kentucky, Chris Mitchell to FIU, Josh, or no, never mind. Yeah, but those four guys being the big one, Lacey, Surratt, Macklin, and Mitchell, does it really just boil down to in your mind, got to go with Lacey, got to go with Surratt because of those systems and just completely avoid Macklin and Mitchell? Or is there more to it than just that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think wide receiver is probably the one we've seen the most success of guys transitioning up. And this doesn't even include FCS guys like Juice Wells going to South Carolina. You know, I mean, there, there's there's some of those situations as well, too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think I'd be most likely to make a bet on a receiver being able to make that transition as long as they find system and opportunity you know, and if they can find those two things, Elijah Spencer found opportunity, but I sure am not betting on a Minnesota Gophers uh, system um, with wide receiver over what we've seen the last few years may have five years ago, but we, we we've seen them totally get away from the past. So um, yeah, so that, that system and opportunity, if it's there, I'm I'm willing to take a, take a chance on some guys.
0: I mean, you're not going to bet on Daniel Jackson again, this next year, Nate, he was finished as the wide receiver, 47. (laughs)
1: It can't be any worse than what they were at last year, right? I mean oh, for sure. Uh, Callick Manis can't he's he's awful. So now that he's gone, who knows? Maybe they can actually throw the ball downfield.
0: It also made me so happy in the bowl game when Darius Taylor was getting like catches out of the backfield. I'm like, okay, so even if they do run or move to passing more, like he's still gonna be pretty heavily involved. He's gonna no be doubt. an absolute monster, dude. He, he's a step speaking forward. of Darius Taylor and our wonderful 2023 freshman class. Um, I think that was like, in addition to talk about just the state of CFF dynasty, how things are changing over the years. Another thing I really wanted to talk about in this first episode, Nate was the 2023 freshman class. And really because every year the guys that are coming off their freshman year are the backbone of CFF dynasty. In my opinion, those are the guys that at least when I do startups, those are the ones I'm typically targeting because, again, like you don't you. – we've already talked about it extensively here. It's hard to predict more than a year or two out. You don't know who the guys are going to come back after their third year. But when you target guys who are going into their second year out of high school, you know for a fact that you are getting at least two years out of them. And if you can target guys that are solidified, guys that are already making an impact on the teams that they are on currently – to me, that might be the best bet in terms of getting long-term value compared to literally anybody else. Like, I'm like, if I'm looking at in a draft, right? Probably you saw a guy like Richard Young go over a guy like Abu Sama last year, right? Like in 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 sure. in, in in freshman drafts. But like now, I'm gonna go after Abu Sama because I saw him impact him an impact year one. Even if Abu Sama doesn't really pan out this next upcoming year, I feel like I feel way more comfortable taking a shot on a guy who at least gave me something in year one rather than like a Richard Young. We're going to discuss some keep trade cut um, options here because, Nate, that's what Dynasty podcasts do. And it's a really fun way to kind of evaluate how we would value these different guys in a draft over one another. So we're going to have some doozies today. I tried to, when I came up with these questions, keep guys who are in a relative tier with one another. Like I'm not going to give Richard Young versus like an Aiden Childs, right? Like again, there's one's clearly more valuable than the other right now. So we'll start with quarterbacks, Nate. um, First one up here. These are three quarterbacks that are in the power four and pretty much All three of them in some way, shape, or form were anointed to be the starter next season regardless of what happened to the starter ahead of them. In fact, two of these guys had multi-year starters ahead of them and who are now gone to the portal because these guys were ready to be the next guy up for these programs. So Nate, Avery Johnson at Kansas State, Nico Yamaleva at Tennessee, or Jackson Arnold, keep trade and cut who's your keep here out of these three
1: this is this is like starting off with like the most difficult decision on by far on this entire list um because you should keep all of these people oh (laughs) for
0: sure but like again like using
1: right but using using this this scenario so i'm not going to just say okay keep is my my number one guy Trade is my number two guy and cut is my number three. Instead of just doing that for all of them, I'm going to take into account, like, whenever I say trade, this guy, like, actually has, like, I think the trade value is there to the point where, like, even though I may like somebody more, I may, I may say trade that guy because perception is you can get more back for him, whereas you could keep the other guys I'm so, so glad we're on the same okay page with can't... that. No, no, okay,
0: that, okay. no. Nate, Nate, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I, I was going to bring up the exact same thing because there are going to be guys here that I trade who actually like better than the other ones. But I think the like the drop off between like like for example here, if I want to say I trade Jackson Arnold, even if I like Jackson Arnold more than Avery Johnson, I think the gap. Between, like, I would think the gap between Arnold and Avery Johnson is small enough to where I'm like, okay, I'm okay with keeping Johnson, but getting a ton of value out of Arnold because the gap in the trade value of Arnold between Avery Johnson and him is greater than the gap in actual pointage I would get on my team.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. And and I'm going to start with saying this I think the perceived value after his bowl game of Nico Iamaleva is so high. He would actually be the one that I would trade here. I, because I feel like I could get a king's ransom back in return for somebody like Nico. Um, and I am absolutely torn on if I would keep or cut Avery Johnson versus Jackson Arnold. And my sooner blood here will not allow me to cut Jackson Arnold. So I will say. Keep Jackson Arnold, trade Nico, and cut Avery Johnson. As painful as that makes me feel,
0: I am in the exact same place as you. I drafted Jackson Arnold in every league that I could last year. I think he's going to be an absolute monster over there at Oklahoma. Johnson is definitely interesting because, again, like there, it's very like Johnson. At least from what we've seen from him, looks like he's going to be like his ceiling is like probably higher than all three of these guys because of just how much it looks like Kansas state is planning on running him. Like any dude that has the potential to score five rushing touchdowns in any given game as a starter. Yeah. Like it's hard to pass up on a dude like that. But my thing is of these three guys, Kleiman is the one coach that I am worried about actually moving on here. Right? Like out of, out of, Brent Venables out of Josh Heupel. I think they're pretty secure at their programs versus Kleiman. Feels like he could be poached by a bigger program if the right offer comes along. So I could see myself getting two years of value out of Nico, out of Jackson, pretty much locked in right there versus Avery Johnson. It could be great this year. It could be a league winner for me this year. Yeah. But then once again, it goes back to the idea of like, how do you project what happens after that point with him? I have no Here's, clue.
1: So, I, I've I've already completed at least the top 150 of my quarterback dynasty CFF rankings. All three of these guys find their way into my top six. So, um, they're they're all three kind of right there together. Yeah. I, I will say the interesting thing. I I, I shouldn't look at this anymore. Um, I, I try not to, but I can't help it. Avery Johnson is the least developed by far, uh, by far of these three from from a passing standpoint. There's a world in which Jackson Arnold and Nico leave after two more years, and maybe you get another year out of Avery Johnson um, to try to develop for the NFL. So maybe you could justify keeping him because you would get three years.
0: Or if he, or he never did. But, but here's the devil's advocate of that, Nate. If he did, if he doesn't develop as a passer and that costs Kansas State in multiple games, who's to say that Kansas State doesn't go and grab a quarterback out of the transfer portal? Yeah, it's, a, it's always possible. Yep. So. All right, let's move on from guys that are pretty lo- pretty much locked into starting jobs next year to some guys that were very valuable CFF uh, freshmen last year who are already in the transfer portal. Like again, this is just the era we're living in where we thought last year we were getting the next Chip Kelly quarterback, the next Jonathan Smith quarterback, and the next Lincoln Riley quarterback at least in line for those systems. Here, all three of them are at different teams now. Now. Two, two of them are different coaching staffs. One of them followed their coach after they left and everything, so that probably will play into a factor here, Nate. But Dante Moore, formerly at UCLA, now at Oregon. Aiden Childs, formerly at Oregon State, now at Michigan State. Or Malachi Nelson, formerly at Southern Cal, now at Boise State. Keep, trade, or cut? Who's your keep?
1: I think out of these three, I'm keeping Malachi Nelson. I, I just feel... The dip down to the G five level is a little bit intriguing. I think he there's there's two guaranteed starters here. Obviously with him and Aiden Childs. Uh, I'm I'm gonna keep Malachi Nelson. I'm gonna I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I'll trade Aiden Childs and I will cut Dante Moore because I know Dante Moore is not starting this year. Uh, I can't predict how things play out in a year, even though I think if he does get that job, he's going to be dynamite uh, in that system. But who knows of Will Stein's, who's been rumored to link to the Arizona head coaching job. Uh, yeah. Who knows where Will Stein is in a year from now, the offensive coordinator there at Oregon. Uh, and I think it's a little bit of a mirage with Aiden Childs. Um, I love his talent. I don't love him following Jonathan Smith. To the Big Ten, there at Michigan State,
0: we've talked about it already. Like with the last question, like in reality, all three of those last guys were keeps. Here for me, there's only one keep, and that is keep Malachi Nelson. I, if I have Dante Moore or Aiden Childs in any league, I'm trying to trade both of them. Right, like I don't think at this point Dante Moore is ever going to be a CFF asset. That might be a hot take, but yeah, that's like. Hot take. Like he is like, again, he he was set up in the perfect system last year with Chip Kelly, right? Like, that is a incredible CFF system and just never was able to really do anything. Now, again, there's some misutilization there. Again, Chip Kelly, not exactly doing the best coaching job ever as well. But Dante Moore, I don't think we're ever going to really see him use his legs. And so if you can't, this goes back to your point, Nate. If he's going to be a quarterback, that's not going to use his legs. He's got to be able to throw 45, 50 times in a game, Right. I don't know if he ever does that at Oregon, right? Like, again, even Will, Will yeah. sign unless they go full air raid and everything, the only saving grace for him at Oregon is that they're probably going to dominate most of their schedule, but then that puts him in the same tier as, like, a Carson Beck, who performed well for CFF this past year, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, like, you wouldn't, go, be, you wouldn't be over the moon about having Carson Beck, but I think for a CFF asset, that's all we're going to get out of Dante Moore moving forward.
1: I think that, uh, so yes, agreed. But I also will say that if you if you could guarantee me that Dante Moore is going to be the starter for Oregon in the year 2025 with Will Stein as the offensive coordinator and he gets a year to learn that system, I would rank him very similarly to how I am ranking Dylan Gabriel to how I would rank Bo Nix. I, I just think that there's too much potential in that offense. And I do think he's athletic enough to where he could get, you know, at least a handful of rushing touchdowns, just because they're going to be so productive on offense. Um, But you just can't—you can't guarantee me that. So I—that's—that's that's why he's clear cut for me.
0: I think the best case scenario is that, like again, are you going to rank Garrett Nussmeyer the same way you ranked Jaden Daniels last year, Nate? No, absolutely not. I think it's the same way. I, I would not put Dante Moore up in the same category as like I have Dylan Gabriel. Like Dylan Gabriel is a top t- top two quarterback for me right now, going into this next year. Bo Nix was a top three quarterback in most people's rankings last year. Like, there's no way I'm putting Dante Moore in that same range. Because, again, without his legs, without the ability to use his legs, he's not going to have the same ceiling as either one of those guys. I'll drop him down. I'll probably make him a top 30 quarterback potentially, but I don't think he's going to be like that same range as those guys. That's fair.
1: Any chance, any chance
0: Malachi Nelson bottoms out here and goes to Boise State and actually isn't that good? That would be the nightmare scenario for Malachi Nelson owners. But at that point, if you're trying to go with the safest option of these three, Aiden Childs is clearly that guy. But also, it's part of the reason why I think he gets the most trade value. Because again, like there's people like you, Nate, who love his talent, who mm-hmm. also love the idea of him following to uh, going to Michigan State following Jonathan Smith, who or who ignore the change in schedule there. And still ride super high on him. I agree with you 100% that Childs will get you the most value out of these three guys if you're trying yeah, to trade one away.
1: I think if you own him, he's somebody I would, I would strongly consider trading right now. I don't love Jonathan Smith for CFF purposes at Oregon State. I certainly don't love him uh, now having a Big Ten uh, schedule with a much worse offensive line and less talent to pass to than he had at Oregon State. So, yeah.
0: All right, let's move on to some running backs here, Nate. Uh, some three freshmen here. I called all three of these guys contributors. These are None of these guys really took over their backfields. They had some flashes at points this year where they looked like the RB1 for their offenses. But not, again, none, none of them are like clearly that number one guy going into next year. All three guys that if their program went out and grabbed another running back, I wouldn't be super surprised. But our three options here, all three Big Twelve guys here. Nate, number one, Parker Jenkins, the four-star running back there at Houston. Uh, number two, LJ Martin, the uh, freshman running back there at BYU, who flashed early in the season, kind of fell off as the season went on, and then number three, Abu Sama, the third, the Iowa State running back who has the most up and down performance um, variants I've ever seen out of a freshman running back ever that i've seen so nate these three guys here who is your keep and then just kind of go from there
1: yeah easy this one is much easier than the last two choices we've we've had uh i'm 100 keeping abu sama i'm 100 trading lj martin and then therefore i am cutting parker jenkins
0: interesting i'm 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 off on you on this one nate i'm i'm, I'm okay I, on the last two i was just like oh man we're on the same page that's crazy. What,
1: what's your order
0: my order here is i'm trading abu sama the third i don't really know what to do with him right now again he his production is absolutely insane in certain games yeah like that kansas state game was absolutely legendary but then he has multiple multiple games where he averaged under a yard and a half per carry and just couldn't get anything going. I don't know what I'm getting out of him on a week-by-week basis. I would trade him to somebody who thinks that they're going to suddenly get that, can't, that Abu-Sama we saw against Kansas State on a weekly, or even like maybe even like 75% of that, on a week-by-week basis, he'll be consistent all of a sudden next year, which is totally possible. We see that jump from freshman to sophomore year all the time. I think I could get the most value out of him because I think he has the highest value of these three guys. I am looking at Parker Jenkins as my keep of these three because you have Willie Fritz coming over from Tulane, right? You have seen him the last two years go for a workhorse running back. Now, sometimes if nobody really stands out in that room, totally possible that he goes to a committee. We saw that three years ago, but then you have the run of J Spears. And then this past year, it looked like they are going to go committee, but then, you know, Makai Hughes starts to break out from the pack, and once he realizes, like, hey, this dude's above everybody else we have in this room, let's just ride with him. I'm not super familiar with what's left of the Houston running back room at this point, Nate, but I can't really name another back in that backfield that either reaches the same level or the same production that Parker Jenkins was able to reach last year. So, if Jenkins can keep up that separation from the rest of the room. I think we have another Willie Fritz um, workhorse back there. And I'll take that at least for now over a guy like Sama, who's again, so up and down that leaves LJ Martin to cut. It feels, it feels bad because again, I liked him at the, at the start of the season. We've known that that BYU running back room can support a workhorse back there. But I think really ever since we saw Jeff Grimes move on to Baylor they just haven't really been able to figure out that running back room. I'm just going to probably stay away from it for now, just of these three options.
1: Yeah, I don't think LJ Markman is very good. So that's why. Um, but I, I do think there are people out there that, that think he is. So I'd be willing to trade him. Know what the Houston situation is going to be at running back next year. And they haven't added anybody through the portal yet with nope. that coaching staff change. You know, um, so I'll be keeping an eye on that throughout the spring. If they add somebody, then that probably tells me, hey, we either don't love Parker Jenkins that much or we don't love our depth that much. if they add somebody after the spring, Abu Sama's just a guy I'm I'm willing to I think the upside is there, the ceiling's high enough under um Matt Campbell and what he's done with running backs, what we've seen with Montgomery and Brees Hall and guys like that. Um, that I am, I am willing to take a stab at at that ceiling. I think is why he would be my most likely keep, and I think you being on the flip side saying I'll take, I'll do the same thing, but for Willie Fritz, um, I think is 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 a, a justifiable point as well too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, we talked a lot about some power four dudes. Let's go talk about some G5 guys. Nate. again, this is like, this is the scariest place in all CFF dynasty is trying to predict what's going to happen at G5 places, not only because we get less information, but because of the transfer portal and everything like that. But it seems like we got three dudes from this past year that made good contributions for their team pretty early on. And they're going to need at least one year of major production to make that jump to the power forward next year. So I guess you're really kind of trying to evaluate how you feel about these dudes this year or if they have that ability to make that jump to the Power 4 level and they'll stay down at the, at the G5 level. Three dudes here. Uh, Jiden Thomas, the running back out of UNLV over there. You got John Bray Dubar, the running back out of Boise State. And then you have the third option here, Justin Marshall, the running back out of Colorado State. So Nate. Keep who's your keep of these three.
1: Yeah, I don't have as strong of feelings on this one, but I will say um keep Dubar yep. uh, just because I really, I really like his, his talent that I've seen so far. And obviously, um, you know, it's, it's a system that has shown they can, they can have multiple strong running backs and, and with Halani moving on, I kind of like that situation there. Uh, I would trade Marshall just because I, I do think there's some people in the industry that kind of like his ability and I think I could get a little bit of value back and I'd cut uh, Thomas. I just, I don't have really a whole lot of interest in Thomas, honestly. Um, more touchdown dependent situation there at UNLV. Um, if I could get value for him, I, I would trade him just as easily, but I
0: probably would be more likely to trade Marshall. Excuse me. Um so I agree with you 100% that Dubar is absolutely the keep here. I'm in the same mindset as you. They've shown they can have multiple running backs. He probably, after GNT leaves, he's probably the, the clear number one guy over there. He This is one of those guys where, again, he won't make the jump after next year, more than likely, unless, like, GNT goes down, he becomes the main guy, and then that happens. Obviously, we can't predict that. Yeah. But I think you get two good years of Dubar pretty easily in a system that has been absolutely fantastic for us the last couple of years. Thomas and Marshall, pretty much the opposite, right? Like again, these are systems that typically either go committee with their running back situation or in the case of Colorado State with Norvell, typically don't have one main guy or typically, again, they're passing so much that you don't really have much interest in the running backs because they don't have the volume that you want to see there. I would cut Marshall because I think that running back room just got so banged up and last year that in a way that Marshall had to get the volume that he was getting near the end. And the fact that the passing game was kind of with, with Torrey Horton banged up with a lot of their other receivers banged up, they had to rely on the run more than they really wanted to. So I think he has the potential to drop the most in terms of stock. Thomas is the one I think you get the most value for of those two guys, because there are people like me who I actually do like. Thomas, i think it's impressive that he got the second most amount of carries as a true freshman they're probably going to go committee in the future but we've seen guys where it looks like it's a committee it's committee year after year after year until all of a sudden they get to a year where they have a guy like Jaden thomas who's been there for maybe a couple years and then suddenly he pops off because you know they he's just so much more experienced than everybody else in that backfield they're like hey we'll go ahead and give you the volume that we haven't really been given to guys in the past. So.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating. He, like, I'm just looking at Thomas's stats there, you know, the be 108 carries of those 108 carries, 12 of them went for touchdowns. That's wild. Right. Like that's, that's one of the more unsustainable, um, Uh, touchdown ratios clearly he's in for likely a regression season Uh, i mean he could still get 12 touchdowns but he's going to need to get closer to 200 carries in order to sustain that but yeah i mean if you find somebody
0: sorry um what what's also helping him out is that vincent davis gone donovan lester gone courtney reese transferring like that room's clearing out for the most part they're bringing michael allen does have another year oh does lester have another year
1: lester's got another year yeah I don't know if he's staying it's hard, hard to get information sometimes but um yeah I mean I, I, yeah your points your points well taken that, that that it is likely we could see a an uptick in his in his volume which could help him sustain that that touchdown ratio it's just crazy man Hunter carries 12 touchdowns and he came in weighing like 180 pounds uh yep. there at unLV so not somebody you would think is like a goal line bruiser
0: mmm all right, let's talk about some wide receivers here, Nate. Again, going back to the Power 4, going back to us picking between our babies here in terms of just high-end guys here. These are the top three freshman wide receivers in terms of their production from this last year in terms of targets. So we got a we debate between these three guys here, Nate. Your boy, Kevin Concepcion, wide receiver out of NC State. Or Eric Singleton, wide receiver out of Georgia Tech there. Or we can go Eugene Wilson, wide receiver, out of Florida. Again, in reality, you probably keep all three of these. But we got a gun to your head right now, Nate. Who are, who are you keeping?
1: Unlike the quarterback uh, producers uh, that were freshmen, this one's easy for me. Um, I'm keeping Casey Concepcion. I'm trading Eugene Wilson because I think a lot of people out there really like him. And rightfully so, I, I he might be the most talented uh, freshman wide receiver that I've that I that I watched last year uh, and I'm trading or I'm cutting Eric Singleton. I don't know if if Georgia Tech can sustain the pass game uh efficiency that they had last year, whenever um they've got uh Haynes King running the show there. I just don't know passing-wise, seems like they just had a lot of busted big play type touchdowns. Um, but I love I love volume. More than anything else, and Kevin Concepcion, man, he just he gets crazy amount of volume.
0: All right, another fun, di- n- another fun disagreement here, Nate. Oh, um, good. I will I will argue until I'm blue in the face about this one. I'm trading Concepcion. Oh, good. I'm trading. Uh, I'm, I'm not me. Co- to no, me. No. Yeah, I'll trade. I'll trade him. Nate. <laughs> I, I will. I will trade you a King's ransom for him. <laughs> and I'm actually disagreeing. With you. I, I'm keeping Singleton. I like. I like guys. What? I like guys who lead their wide receiver rooms and target as a freshman, right? It can, feel, it can really only go up from there, right? Again, the big knock on Singleton, like you kind of mentioned, a lot of missed downfield shots, but he is a big play waiting to happen pretty much every time he steps out there on the field, right? That is something you absolutely want to see. If he doesn't get, like he gets the volume, catches 50% of the time, but if they're all going for 20 plus yards, like he was getting last year, and he can refine his ability this next upcoming year, become more and more of a dominant wide receiver in that offense. I think the upside for Singleton is absolutely nuts. Versus Concepcion, I am a little worried that we might have seen his ceiling. Because who else did NC State have to pass to last year, right? There was a point where he was so dominant down the stretch because there was not any other options. He was just so much better than everybody else in that wide receiver room. But then now they're bringing in your boy, Wesley Grimes. They're bringing in Noah Rogers, a former five-star wide receiver. I'm not going to act like that either one of them are going to overtake Concepcion as the clear number one guy. But the situation pretty much came out perfectly for Concepcion last year, and he still didn't break top 10 wide receiver. Now, Am I saying it's a bad thing that he's going to drop down from like a top? I think he finishes wide receiver 16 last year. If if he drops down from wide receiver 16 to wide receiver 25, 30 or something like that, that's still going to be a great wide receiver season right there. I just think right now is the height of the trade value you're going to get for him. Two years potential. There are going to be people like you, Nate, who see him as a potential wide receiver one this year. If Grimes and Noah Rogers don't step up and they do continue to funnel it to Concepcion, because he is a talented wide receiver, no doubt about it. But kind of like Ian Malieva, I could get a King's Ransom out of a guy like you, Nate. Right? I could get a King's Ransom out of people who really believe in him. I don't think I could get a King's Ransom out of Eugene Wilson or Eric Singleton. And I like both of those guys. I think Wilson and Singleton will both be good CFF wide receivers moving forward.
1: I think yes, in if you feel that these three guys are relatively close, or at least two of these three guys are relatively close in value, and one of them as you're suggesting that Concepcion can can bring you much more in, in a trade, because you're gonna find somebody like me who does not feel like these three are close in value, then by all means, you know, that's that's what you should do. Um you need to you need to go out and find an owner that Feels as strongly about Concepcion or in some cases as strongly about Wilson as as people do.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Again, I think that's, again, neither one of us are right or wrong here. This is us trying to talk about how do we value these guys and how do we make decisions based off of the information that we are given right now? How do we, again, if I feel a certain way about concept. I think it's good that we're listening to two different points of view of like what happens when you do view that somebody is that much higher than everybody else versus like you or versus like me, where I don't think these guys are close. But this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. The trade gap between Concepcion and Singleton slash Wilson is so much higher, in my opinion, than the Um the actual production gap between Concepcion and Singleton and Wilson. In my point of view versus you're the point of view yep. where you think that the production gap is going to be way higher than the trade gap that you're going to get between Concepcion yep. and these other two guys. Neither one of us are wrong because nothing's played Absolutely. out yet. So. <laughs> all right. Last question or not the last question. We got we got some time here. We're actually making really good time with uh, our discussions here today. So I think we'll sneak in a few more keep trade cut questions. Uh, Another wide receiver question here, Nate. This is I call this the what happened question. These were three top-tier wide receivers in a lot of freshman drafts where, again, obviously some of them are pretty talented rooms. It's hard to kind of get out on the field, but we're talking about true almost nothing in terms of production throughout the year. Jury and Dickey, the wide receiver out of Oregon, former five-star Brandon Innes, a former five-star wide receiver at Ohio State and Makai Lemon, uh, five-star in some places, four-star in other places, wide receiver out of USC. Nate, when you have guys like this, like I talked about earlier, all three of these guys took huge hits in their stock this year, right? Because of the fact they just did absolutely nothing. And according to history, they're probably not going to do much, that much moving forward. So what do you do when you have three guys like this? How do you evaluate... Who are you going to trade? Who are you going to keep? Mm-hmm. And who would you just straight up cut? We're done here,
1: right? Uh, agreed. I so I'll start with this story on Dickey. Um, he is he is somebody that at least with Ennis and Lemon we saw signs of life at the end, either their last game of the regular season or in their bowl game. We in the bowl game we saw Ennis and Lemon get a, a fair amount of action. Um, we did not see that at a jury on Dickey. And that was a straight up blowout um, of epic proportions uh with them against Liberty. And Oregon has shown uh if we don't love what we've got, we can buy whoever we want. And so we've seen I mean, if you look at all the their depth chart right now, Tez Johnson, uh Evan Stewart, um, you know, a couple couple of other guys. Um Holden, Holden, guys, guys like that, Gary these, Bryant. These Yeah, these are all transfers, right? So this is a a school that will fill out their roster with transfers and continually bury a guy like Dickey. So he's an easy cut for me. Um, I'm a little torn between who I would keep and trade. Um, I would probably trade – this is tough. I'd probably roll the dice and say I've seen enough that I like that of Malachi Lemon towards the end of the season, and that room is kind of cleared out enough to where I would keep him. Although I'd be terrified for the the rumors that maybe he transitions to defense, um, but I, w- I would probably keep him and trade Brandon Ennis, but I I'm I'm pretty indifferent on that. I could go
0: I could go either way. I have those two ranked pretty pretty close together. Whenever I start hearing the rumors that somebody's gonna transfer to defense, I yeah I'm out. Uh, yeah, I it it, it 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 tells me that again they're. It's not working out at receiver. If if they saw a truly elite ceiling for a player, they would keep him at wide receiver, keep him with the reps and everything. I'm I'm cutting Lemon out of these out of these three guys, even though we saw some li- signs of life out of him at the end. I'm keeping Ennis. I can't get off these Ohio State wide receivers, especially elite ones like Ennis. Now maybe he ends up like Julian Fleming, but at the same time, like there is a role or there there is a potential. For Innes to still be one of the top or um one of the starting three wide receivers for Ohio State next year, which there's gonna bring value with that. Again, maybe he's capped to a ceiling like Julian Fleming was, but I could absolutely see Tate, Emeka, and Innes as the top three wide receivers out there. And maybe we finally just see a late breakout from Innes. Now, history tells us that we should have seen something from Innis really throughout the year, and he didn't even meet the year one thresholds that one that we have at Campus of Canton. So a little skeptical, but again, out of these three, easily the best bet in my opinion. Dickey, just by him being a former five-star wide receiver in a system like Oregon, even if he is buried on the depth chart, you're still going to get people who are stuck in the old mindset of like, oh, I can just wait him out. He'll he'll start eventually for Oregon at this point, right? Like he's a former five-star. They can't afford to mess that up. I feel like I can find somebody who'd be willing to take a shot on that value. So that's how I kind of break this down.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. You bring up some good points. You the the fear of Lemon transitioning to defense is probably enough. I, I'll go with you. I, I will keep Brandon Ennis. I'll trade Lemon, not cut Jerry on Dickey.
0: You're Talk just compl- completely out on Dickey. I'm
1: completely out on Dickey. No You I I thought he was gonna break out in that bowl game. I I, yeah. I was I, I I think I even took like uh to Dickey fair. I took a Dickey anytime touchdown uh, on DraftKings, thinking that that would be I get really good odds. He was going to play late and get some action. Nope, he didn't. He hardly saw the field. He was terrible.
0: Hey, I hope you know that somebody will isolate that audio of you saying that you'll take a Dickey. I took a Dickey, took a Dickey, <laughs> and uh, it did not work out for me. So I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> did you just rolled with that? That was great. Um. To be fair to Dickey, though, like that they kept those Oregon starters in way too long. For all the people who talked about like Jaden Daniels stat padding for the Heisman and everything, do people not remember just how late Bo Nix and all those guys were in oh, some of those blowouts? He like did, it's yeah. absolutely insane, dude. Like I, I was so mad because I, I thought I had I, I had uh, Bucky Irving on the under because there was lots of rumors that he was going to get taken out of halftime, and he played through like four quarters and he was still out there when they were up like five touchdowns. I'm like, dude, go go away.
1: Yeah, no doubt, Sucks. man. Dan Landing has got that take no prisoners mentality. I will, I will
0: wreck oh, I'll, this I'll, scoreboard. I don't care. Which is great for us in CFF. Like that's part of the reason yeah. why Bonex has been so great for us. All right, we got time for more questions here, Nate, so we're going to throw more out at you here. Let's go with quarterbacks who I call the stuck. These are, again, high-profile guys that were drafted highly in freshman freshman drafts last year who very quickly are finding themselves in sticky situations. In fact, I would say between all three of these guys, their value is dropping really in free-for-all as the season goes on because of either coaching changes, either because of... Just the situations they find themselves in, guys being put ahead of them. Austin Novosad, a quarterback out of Oregon. Brady Drogish, the quarterback out of Cincinnati. Or number three, Sam Leavitt, former quarterback out of Michigan State, now at Arizona State. So Nate, where do you find value in these guys?
1: I'll actually keep Sam Levitt, um, which which you may kind of disagree with, but... I think of these three guys, he's the only one that has a legit chance to be the starter next year. And I kind of like that. I think it's maybe like 60 40 Rashada starts over Levitt. But if you're Kenny Dillingham, you do not bring in a like, this isn't like, hey, I'm bringing in the transfer to sit behind Rashada and, um, and you know, be my safety valve, so to speak, if, if something happens to Rashada. This is no, hey, I'm bringing the dude in to compete day one i like the tape from sam levitt coming out i think maybe he could push for that job so uh, i'm going to keep him i'm going to trade austin nova Sad, uh because there's still some believers out there that 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 he's actually a pretty good quarterback based off how he performed in the uh the elite 11 camps and that type of thing and maybe he lands somewhere you know decent job next year and then i i just i haven't seen anything out of brady drogish i i they brought in Brandon Sorsby to be the guy this year. So, and he's, uh, you know, a, a second year, I mean, he's a sophomore. So I just don't know. I just don't know if he's ever going to get a shot. So that would be my order.
0: So I actually agree with you with uh, really? Levitt. And I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that I think he has a certain job next year. No, I think Rashad has got that locked up. I think Dillingham's one, just loading the room up with talent and they also are losing Borgett and Pine. Again, clearly well behind Rashada. So, but he needed to bring bodies in anyway. So when you have the option, like you said, just bring in a former four-star quarterback, why not? So I don't necessarily think he's coming in to compete, possibly take over the job. I think Levitt, out of these three guys, has the look of he will be the clear backup out of these three guys compared to the other two. And so if something yeah. happens to Rashada, even, oh, if, no. even if Levitt doesn't start, Levitt will be that guy, oh, next guy up at that point. And okay, so I yeah, think that's okay. where I find the most value. I'll keep that. I'll trade Sad pretty much for the same reasons as you said. A lot of people were high on him last year. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Novosad could still be the backup over Dante Moore next year, given the fact that he's had an extra year in the system. Like, am I crazy for saying that? Like, I I think that there's a possibility of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, anything's anything's possible. I just maybe he's the backup this year, but is is he this? I mean, I think his only path to actually following through with that and being the starter in 2025 is if he something happens um, and or he, he just actually con- gets he actually gets starts and shows that he's capable of it. I just think that they're the price tag that they probably paid for Dante Moore is too high that they're gonna they're gonna try to start him.
0: No, and I can totally see that. And it's, and it's again, this is when you're dealing with guys like this who again are just stuck, just feel right. like sunk costs at this point, you're trying to find any kind of path to relevance moving forward. And for Brady Drogish, I can't find anything here. Because yeah. not only did he just do nothing this year, he wasn't even the clear backup. Brady uh Leitenberg mm got the backup reps behind Emory Jones, which tells me that, like, one, I want to tar and feather the Cincinnati beat reporters because they hyped up Drogish, they hyped up Barry Jackson as freshman impact guys. Like, Drogish could potentially push Emory Jones and just nothing out of both of those guys this year. So I'm never trusting any freshman hype that they give out ever again because, like, this (laughs) is completely insane. But even so, like you said... Leitenberg's still hanging out in Cincinnati. Drogish is still there. If you believe the depth chart from last year, it could change. Again, Drogish could take a step up or anything like that. I don't see how he's even cleared backup up next year. And, like, Cincinnati, you're looking at... Um, oh, my God, what's his name? Um, head coach. formerly Satterfield. Lived. Satterfield. If you're, like, again, Satterfield has had really good quarterbacks in the past. Obviously, Blake Cunningham and everything like that. But at the same time, like... It's just not something I am like of these three guys, I think he's the biggest sunk cost of the three,
1: yeah, and the last the last point I'll hammer home here when when you do have just guys that are stuck like this and they're you know their their opportunity is is pretty you know close to nothing um go with the guy that you think is the most talented and has yeah. the highest cFF upside and I think in a vacuum. Just off of ability and skill set, the du- the dual threat ability of Sam Levitt, um, and his he's just a better passer than Brady Drogish. Um, I just I like to be that kind of ceiling guy.
0: No, I think that's ab- ab- that's absolutely fair. If you're like Emory Jones, like people hung on to Emory Jones, no matter where he went, even though he didn't succeed at Arizona State, because they're sitting there thinking like, okay, he still has that ability to completely dominate a game for you if he gets put in the right position so like why not he has that skill yeah. set alright another question here we'll we'll squeeze in and we can squeeze in two more let's we'll see how fast we can do this um, power four next men up at the wide receiver here Nate Carnell Tate Ohio State wide receiver John Tate Cook wide receiver out of Texas uh, Zechariah Branch wide receiver out of USC obviously all three of these guys super highly valued in CFF drafts last year much has changed even since I wrote this question. So, Nate, who is your keep of these three guys?
1: My keep is Carnell Tate. Um, I think that he is pretty much a lock to start there at Ohio State. I think there's actually a chance. I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but I think there's a chance he's the wide receiver one and not a Mecca next year. Mm-hmm. Um I would trade Zachariah Branch. Um, he his name still carries a lot of value, uh, a lot of cachet with him being in that USC offense. So I would certainly trade him. And I, you know, I if you wanted to keep him, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you there either. Uh, and then I would cut Jonte Cook. Unfortunately, I think he's he's victim of um, of the transfer portal and 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 guys coming into a, to a loaded room, you know, as Texas stockpiles that room again, we, again, we've, we've already alluded to it a couple times here. They've added Isaiah Bond. They've added Matthew Golden. They're in the process. It looks like at least leading at the time we were reporting this leading on Silas Bolden. Uh, they are bringing in at tight end, um, potentially Amari Nyblack, and then just got word that, um What's his name? The uh, Eurosec is going to visit there. So um, obviously they are not afraid to restock a room fast. And I think Jante Cook's stock is is
0: falling, unfortunately. So I'm keeping tape for obvious reasons, pretty much the same reason as you. I think he is in line for the clear start, clear potential Marvin Harrison Jr. treatment. Again, not as good talent-wise as Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously. But again, the system's there. They like to target one guy, so obviously he's a keep. I'll disagree with you between Cook and Branch. Branch is an insane talent, but we know Lincoln Riley likes to spread the ball around wide receivers, and there are other options there at USC. Now, the room's definitely cleared out a little bit. Some of those transfers that came in there realized that they got hoodwinked by Lincoln Riley as potential options moving forward, and so... I think there's less competition than there was even just last year. But again, you got Deuce Robinson still there. Mekhi Lemon, we've been talking about. um, They brought in um, the one receiver from the FCS as well, who a lot of people are saying could probably start for them there. So just because of them spreading it around, I'm willing to cut Branch. And with Cook, I'm willing to trade him mostly due to the fact that I think that you're still going to find people who believe in the talent of Cook and the potential to be a clear wide receiver one somewhere. if, if it's not if, mm. At Texas, I think he still has that ability. But let's say Texas keeps loading up this wide receiver room. They basically talked all offseason about how Cook was like clearly that next guy. So I still think there's a path to him being groomed to be that Xavier-worthy role right there. But let's say that doesn't happen. Spring comes around, Cook is still second on the depth chart. He is absolutely, absolutely a transfer candidate at that point. Mm. And he will feel hoodwinked, and he's going to go somewhere where he feels like he can start. Who's to say Jonte Cook doesn't go to Alabama?
1: Yeah, I mean... Kalen
0: DeBoer's system.
1: I think you're making a lot of... I think you're making some assumptions there. The only assumption I will make is that I think between Cook and Branch, I think the one that is most likely to be a starter is I I think it's Zachariah branch. So I agree. Uh so and I I think perception on him, most a lot of people, especially in the C2C world, a lot of people had him ranked as the number one wide receiver uh in this class and and that type of thing. So I just I think that he still carries more trade value. So I would be I mean if you, obviously nobody's cutting
0: any of these guys. No, absolutely
1: so, not <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a moot point.
0: Alrighty, we'll fit in one last question here. G5, next men up. Again, hard to predict the G5 moving forward with potential adding in transfers at any given moment, guys moving up. But we got David Amador, the wide receiver out of UTSA. We got Carlos Hernandez, the wide receiver out of uh, Washington State. Or we can go Prince Strawn, the wide receiver out of Boise State. So Nate, what are your thoughts, man?
1: Uh, this one I, I think is pretty clear for me, but I I kind of waffled back and forth. Um, Prince uh Strahan would be my keep. Uh, I like that system. I like the obviously the addition of Malachi Nelson, assuming he's healthy, assuming he can play at the level we think he can. Uh, I think that opens up a path for him to kind of fill into that Eric McAllister role, like we were all projecting mm-hmm. last year so i like uh, i like prince strahan in that situation as my keep um i just don't know that david amador carries any trade value so i would probably say trade carlos hernandez um i i think hernandez has a chance to be really nice in that um in that washington state system but that that roster is a little bit in flux right now just since they've lost so many pieces after the uh, the news that they were no longer going to be, you know, a, a power five, power four type of program. So they seem to have a, a little bit of, um, you know, just issues there with their roster. But yeah. So keep, keep Prince Strahan and I would trade Carlos Hernandez uh, just because I'm, I'm, I don't think David Amdor carries much trade value. So I'm not sure you'd get anything for him uh, despite the fact that that, you know, there, there are some, you know, opportunity within that roster just based off of everybody that's moving on there Mm -hmm. um i I think the same situation holds true for carlos fernandez i think with kyle williams coming back but just about everybody else leaving there and that slot position being so lucrative for uh the the um arbuckle as the offensive coordinator i would think i could still get a little bit of value out of carlos fernandez so i would i would trade him
0: I'm pretty much on the same boat as you, except I would flip Hernandez and Strawn. Amador, he's not even the best receiver in his own class at UTSA. David McEwen uh, performed really well for the Roadrunners this year. I think he's probably locked in as a starter next year. He very much broke out for them. They bring in DJ Allen and JJ Sparkman from TCU and Texas Tech, respectively. I think that both of those guys probably end up pushing Amador back to the second string there even with Cephas moving on over there. Let's also not forget DeCorian and Clark will be coming back as well. And if he is healthy enough, he will probably get the start as well. So I think Amador's path is limited here. Reason why I'm going to go Hernandez over Sean is that even though Hernandez never really broke out, in fact, I don't think he recorded a touchdown. He got a pretty significant number of targets as a true freshman for Washington State. And as much as the beat reporter over with Washington state says that the transfer Chris Hudson from Oregon will probably start in the slot. We know for a fact, they run four wide receivers all the time. There's going to be two slots out there all the time. And so I think that Carlos Hernandez still has the opportunity to get the snaps he needs on the field. Still become that clear dominant wide receiver there. I mean, he was a guy that a lot of people were talking about as potentially starting in the slot as, I mean, he did start in the slot as a freshman and it's just that Lincoln Victor was just so much more experienced than him. I think with a year under his belt, Carlos Hernandez could easily take that over next year. Strawn, as much as I want to believe, he gets the Eric McAllister treatment next year. I look at what he's able to do this year. He had one game over 100 yards after McAllister left. He had one game over, or he had two games over five targets. One was the bowl game against UCLA where he got uh, three catches, 37 yards. And then the New Mexico game, three catches, 128 yards and a touchdown. Otherwise, he had two or less targets in the rest of his games. And so it bothers me a little bit that he didn't clearly become that next dude up getting that treatment that McAllister was. Now, again, that can change. That can change with an offseason full of reps. They're ready to go into next year. I, th- I absolutely think Strawn still a valuable piece of CFF value next year. And I probably will draft him in CFF redraft leagues because of the system, what they were able to do last year. I just don't think he'll be a surefire plug and play guy. Like some people might think that he is. And so I will look for the people who think that he's a plug and play guy for Boise state next year. And I will trade him to them for some value.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Carlos Fernandez, I I think probably has the higher ceiling of the two just because he is that Arbuckle buckle slot receiver. Um, So I, I think that's fair. I would say, um, you know there's i, I think there's a chan- there's there's a more likely chance that prince is the wide receiver one i that's why i kind of lean him but definitely a nice ceiling there with carlos hernandez
0: all righty well neat we've gone about an hour and a half i think that is a pretty good length for our first episode here and everything again i'm i'm excited this is this is so much fun to actually just have a place to truly talk like just cff dynasty talking about like players moving forward and everything like that it's nice to have a show that's truly one-of-a-kind in the space. Um, I'm looking forward to more episodes moving forward. But, Nate, um, what's going on with you, man? Again, you've been uh, kind of quiet the last couple of months when it comes to the articles. What do you got in the works, man?
1: Well, I will be doing uh, for, I think it's the third year I've done this now, I will be at some point here in the next couple of weeks releasing my pre-spring uh, Stock Up and Stock Down uh, CFF reports so be on the lookout for that and then once we you know once a couple months of spring rolls by and we we've we've kind of see how some spring camps have played out and you know another round of transport portal has has taken place then i'll have the post spring stock up stock down so but those will be the ones that i'll i should have out here in the next couple weeks so be on the lookout for that
0: quite frankly y'all those articles have become portions of the cff dynasty bible uh, the last couple of years, Nate's done a fantastic job when it comes to evaluating how players' stock in this game set go up and down. So, absolutely check those out whenever they come out. Must reads, really for anybody playing any kind of college dynasty whatsoever. So, I
1: have I just to touch on that. I have decided this year that I am going to. Um, I'm I'm there will be a portion of like a dynasty element to that as well. That'd be kind of like, I'm going to kind of separate it out, redraft stock up, stock down. And then from a dynasty perspective, these are guys that I really am, am bullish on now versus guys that I'm bearish on.
0: I absolutely looking forward to that. And Nate, honestly, when we make the CFF guy this year, I might put you in charge of uh, writing out a CFF dynasty section. I think that could be fun with that. Should, should we, should we tease? Oh yeah. I, 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 you know, I almost completely forgot. We let's just... tease let's, No, let's let's
1: tease the singing for next uh, next episode. Just because we've had some connectivity issues here, that's totally fair. We're probably asking too too much of our internet right now, but we'll tease it for the listeners, and then maybe we just maybe we open the entire show with just straight going into it next time.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Nate, because I almost completely forgot, once again, I get too too into this. For those of you who don't know what Nate's talking about, um, we made a bet two years ago with Chris K and Andrew Katz over at Burning the Red Shirt regarding Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl and their production at Alabama in year two of their seasons there. And Nate you and I were on Jojo Earl as the potential number one wide receiver there for Alabama they were on Ja'Cory Brooks turns out really neither one of them was the right option because they all kind of sucked but at the same time (laughs) they did win Ja'Cory Brooks had more production obviously Earl got injured but we said no like injuries don't matter it's just pure production and so we lost the bet and our punishment is to sing Britney Spears' hit me baby one more time and Chris K. has been on our butts the last two years, every time we get on a show together, asking us why we haven't done this. And we were going to do it today, but like Nate said, we are having some connectivity issues, and we want to make sure that we have the premier quality (laughs) when we finally have to, (laughs) to, to pay up on our bet here, so that'll be the opening for the next show so if you don't listen to this episode or you only listen to like the first like hour and 10 minutes of this podcast you're gonna be super confused when we open the next episode with it but we'll see man again we'll we'll get it done Kay, if you're listening don't worry we'll get it done
1: that will give me a month to uh insulate the the inside of my office here so that whenever I flex the golden pipes uh, and bust out the Britney Spears, it is of immaculate quality percussion so that everybody gets the full effect of, of what it's going to sound like.
0: Yeah, this is, Do this you is karaoke be... at all? Uh, do I karaoke? Uh, no, yes. I don't typically karaoke. Oh, I don't
1: either. I'm terrified of <laughs> <at> karaoke. So <laughs> it's going to be I was, great. I was
0: scared there for a minute. I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to be shown up by Nate? <laughs> Oh my no. god, no, no. My yeah.
1: my wife and I have some have some friends that we hang out with, that we party with that love karaoke and they love doing it. And it's amazing because all the people that do it with them have these incredible voices. And my wife and I are there and we're just like, dear God, this is literally our worst nightmare. Um, not only do we suck at karaoke, but we're around people that could like be on the voice or some crap like that. It's like, what is going on here?
0: Dude, but that's the best whenever you have somebody who can't sing. But it, the best karaoke is when you have somebody who can't sing, but they can perform. And they just go at it. Like, I had a friend, his name is Morgan in high school. This the, the dude, shall I say nicely, was not the strongest singer. But man, when he got up there to perform Fergalicious, I don't think you realize how entertained literally everybody else in the room because he did not give two craps and that was the best like he won the competition not because he could sing but because again he entertained everybody that's what you got to do when you can't sing
1: oh boy yeah we'll do that we'll kick it off next time we'll 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 blow everybody's mind just straight out of the intro
0: yeah, and I'll uh, I'll grab some AI so that we can uh, uh, make our voices sound like uh, like Hugh Jackman <laughs> on Broadway or something like that.
1: <laughs> you you can grab AI. I'm gonna grab uh, a few beers before we even kick that thing off, just to make sure <laughs> that I have the I have the uh, liquid courage to make it happen.
0: I am very much looking forward to it. I hope you guys are out there as well. Speaking of you guys out there, thank you guys for listening for the first episode of Defending the Natty. Again, I'm doing my best to edit this down take out some of the choppy bits and everything like that. Just some connectivity issues, but I had an absolute blast. If you have not already, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this on podcast. Make sure you follow us for the future. Again, these will come out once a month. We're going to try to hit the 15th of each month, roughly about there for the release schedule. So, you guys can know roughly when it comes out. But, you know, it's a lot easier for subscribing and you get those notifications and stuff like that. Uh, make sure you guys go check out the rest of the Campus Account Camp Podcast Network. A lot of shows ranging pretty much anything you can think of related to the College Fantasy game. We'll see you guys back here next month. Um, we haven't really decided what we're going to discuss next month, probably what we discuss after we're done recording here. Uh, but until then, really appreciate you guys and hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed month. Until then, see you guys.